the nice thing about doing an episode back to back, I feel, or maybe it's a bad thing, is like we've caught up personally. Oh you, yeah, you and I. Everything is. I feel like the past the past couple weeks, like we've been episode. recording one episode a week. And yeah. When we were in the throes of the book, we would do like two, three, four episodes at once. Right. So the episodes would be a little bit more like action packed because between episodes, yeah, we cut the filler. Yeah. Yeah. And now we just recorded what is last week's episode. And it was a phenomenal episode, a episode if I have to say so to myself. Do. We tried the Amazon segment. Love yeah. hearing the feedback on that. Oh, all yeah. Positive. Thank you for the sweet letter that you wrote to us, Justin. Oh, yeah. It was so, so sweet and meaningful. Yeah. Brett, thank you for all the uh, hatred and uh, and thank Vitriol. you for telling me that my uh, Jimmy Stewart's horrible again. Uh it's I'm sad. just predicting what I know will yeah, yeah. happen. Yeah, you we're do in too. an interesting spot where right now we are in the future. Yeah, which is awesome. It's so cool, and we're exploring a book that is in the past. I mean, that's what Whoa. we're. Exp- this is almost like <laughs> this could be called past futures. Oh my god! Or back to the future, part two. Part arguably three. one of the best electric boogaloo. Yeah, I love Back to the Future Part Two. The first hour is not so good, but the second hour. Did you watch the video I sent you, breaking down like the history of like how they did all the effects? No, I don't even know you sent me that. When did you send me that? I send that to you and Brett. Uh, uh, see if Brett's attached to the chat. I usually don't open it. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You can understand why. I'll send you a link. There's yeah. a YouTube channel called Captain Disillusion where he breaks down visual effects, but he's like a vis- visual effects artist, um, and his main inspiration is Back to the Future. Hell um, yeah! And the stuff that they did for it is crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy, especially considering they had no technology to do what we do now. Um, and it was that just... is, I think about that all the time. Like, uh, there's a guy named Shanks Effects. He does things for PBS, and he did a breakdown of the uh, face melt scene in Indiana Jones, and like he re- recreates it. It's like old school indie mogul, just with like straight science sort of breakdowns of things. Oh man! So this sounds like this guy's kind of the same. Yeah, a and lot of his videos I are like debunking viral videos that people are like oh look at this amazing thing that happened and he's like it's not amazing it's a vi- it's a vfx <laughs> yeah. thing let me show you how but yeah he, he does a couple segments on like honoring some heroes of visual effects oh that's awesome that's a cool show those are the cool ones that player. i want to watch i like the honorings of the old timers yeah yeah speaking of speaking of speaking of old timers yeah we're diving in we're diving in uh, we're diving into Days of Waiting, which was renamed in the new book. Uh, they renamed it Anxious, Anxious Waiting. Waiting. So this is Days, days. of Waiting. Days. Days. Um, Sean, if, if it's I recall, more than, than Days. Oh? Yeah. But do you believe if you recall? If I recall, the Anxious Waiting was like instantly resolved. Oh, yeah. That's what our issue was. It was resolved within like what? The first paragraph? Yeah, and actually, Anxious Waiting, where, where are you at here? Disturbing absence. Anxious Waiting is a few chapters away in in the old book. Anxious Waiting follows a sleuthing trip, which follows rival detectives, which is after uh, the important discovery. So, like, there's two extra Whoa. chapters in the new book between this uh, this new chapter and last chapter. What chapter do they see the play in? Uh, I think that's a sleuthing trip. 
Oh, that's right. Sleuthing trip. That would make sense. Yeah. Due to that title, that is a Sleuth's trip. Yes. Is this a play? But here we are in anxious waiting, which is days of waiting. Uh, take us through it, sir. Days of waiting. Okay, so uh, Fenton is down in New York. He just took the train down. Okay. Right? And, uh, man, go to page 97. I'm there. Uh, I just have 97 middle. Uh, and I don't know what this means. Fenton says this, and I don't know what context he's saying this, but it's but in his heart he thought it would... Read before that. Read all of 97. Okay. Fenton Hardy. This is Days of Waiting. Chapter opening. Fenton Hardy had high hopes of a quick solution of the mystery when he went to New York. Possession of the wig, the hat, and the coat, no Oxford comma, gave him three clues, any one of which might lead to the tracing might lead to tracing the previous owner quickly, and the detective was confident that it would not be long before he would unravel the tangled threads. He had not stated his optimism to the boys, being careful not to arouse their hopes, but in his heart, he thought it would be a matter of hours before he ran the owner of the red wig to earth. What does that mean? That's saying he's going to kill him, right? I'm about to run you to earth. I'm going to run you to earth. (laughs) This is before fish, but that's like the... Sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, running with the the earth. 1920s. It's like running with the devil, just with the gonna, earth, baby. Gonna bring him to earth. I'm gonna put you into its excesses rotation. Welcome put to your earth. Body oh, yeah, dude. That's like a Will Smith line. I know. Just like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we were talking about this, but he doesn't actually say welcome to earth. He says welcome to earth. Like, he pronounces it right. Oh, it's not earth? No. But the meme, it's like... Uh, welcome to earth. Yeah. Yeah, for whatever reason, that's what gets quoted is welcome to earth. But he says welcome to earth. Nah, earth properly. sounds cooler. Yeah, that's like whenever in the Hardy Boys, whenever they write for people like Rocco, you got to change it up. You got to make it sound different, more fun. Like if Rocco's lines were memed normally, they wouldn't be as funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, as I So I have not read the book. Same as last episode. This is all your notes from you reading the book. I haven't read these chapters. Yeah, all... But interestingly, uh, as a literary device, we had that paragraph I just read. And then a separate paragraph is just one sentence that says... But obstacles presented themselves before him in bewildering succession, mm-hmm. which I feel like would be a way to just end the chapter. Like, they just summarized everything. Yeah. Like, why would you as an author be like, well, I know the next several pages, I'm just obviously going to present more trials for the protagonist to endure. Yeah, that's But true. instead of just, like, they, it, this could have gone right to, like, the first problem he runs into and all this sort of stuff, but instead... The author's just like, well, things don't go smoothly. <laughs> and I can tell you about some of them. Yeah, if you here's ask a real few nice. of the things that didn't happen so just well. Sit down, take a seat next to me, and I'll tell you what happened if I I don't know who that I was. I can tell you this right now. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. You can't, it's the face that makes it even great, too. Yeah. You're doing this like eye squint, but you're making and your you're mouth as through, wide as possible. You're talking through your back teeth a little bit. Ah, what is that? You got Irish on me? Okay. <laughs> He's getting There's Irish. Something in the air. <laughs> something in the air. But let me tell you what happened. Oh, very high. I've been haggish. <laughs> I've been curdling. <laughs> I feel like the more I do a voice, like if I do a voice for like 15 seconds, toward the end of that 15 seconds, the voice stops enunciating different words. Like I, 
I can start with a Brooklyn accent, and then by the end of it, like <laughs> I'm slurring my like my R's or yeah. W's, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> like it just <laughs> falls apart. To I like that though. You're slowly <laughs> becoming. <laughs> it. That was now you're Popeye, dude. You're the Irish Popeye. <laughs> uh, so bottom of ninety eight. So Fenton goes. Uh, he's getting the wig looked at, and. Um, He's speaking with the manager of this wig shop, trying to figure out who might have bought this. And it's the last paragraph of 98. Um, The manager turned the wig over in his hands, glanced carefully at the inside, felt the weight and texture, and then pressed a button at the side of his desk. A boy came and departed with a message. It may be difficult. The wig is not new. In fact, I would say it turned out to be... I would say it turned out... About two years ago. So, there's a button that you press and a little boy just appears? That's awesome! (laughs) I'm starting to think the threat does exist. A boy came and departed with a message. What is it? So, there's just a button. And what I'm guessing is this is a servant. Yeah, no. what, What I'm curious is a boy came and departed with a message. That could be read as though he never gave the message to anyone. Like, he had a message in his hand. He came in, and he departed with the message. <laughs> what he still had that message. But so, you could also say, like, oh, he came in with a message and then departed. Or just he came in – a boy came in with a message. I think what it is is the boy came in, got the message, and left because we're about to meet a character oh. of legendary status. Oh. Of legendary status. I'm so I'm so excited. You should be excited. Uh, I went because I went page your braces 90, that time. I did. I like that. Go to page 99. So <gasps> they turn the wig over. They need to figure out who made this wig. Who's it for? You're going to have to bring in an expert. A bespectacled old man shuffled into the office at that moment in response to the manager's summons and stood in and stood waiting in front of the desk. Kaufman here, said the manager, is our expert. What he doesn't know about wigs isn't worth knowing. Remember it, Kaufman? Turning to the old man, handing him the red wig. Wow. Kaufman, as I live and breathe. Do we not meet Kaufman in the original? No, Kaufman is just mentioned. It's a Kaufman. I'd never forget it, is what the wig shop owner says. Because we're like, oh, of course, yeah, it's a Kaufman. No, sorry. Reading the new book, Kaufman here, the manager said, is our expert. What he doesn't know about wigs isn't worth knowing. Then, oh, that's then a turning to the old man, he <laughs> handed him the red wig. Remember it, Kaufman? I think that's word for word. <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm excited. Dude. I'm excited to see him again. Don't My get me notes wrong. It's just holy <laughs> crap! It's Kaufman. <laughs> I'm so excited to meet him. Well, I feel like after we meet him in the first book, we don't know his his legend status. That's it's, true. It's it just goes like, past us. Like you could be in an elevator with like Babe Ruth, and yeah. then later, like someone's like, "Oh yeah, like Babe Ruth was in town." And like, oh, I was in the elevator with him, and it wasn't a big deal at the time. Yeah, because we didn't know his status. But they were so enamored about just being in an elevator. Yeah, being the technology that it was at the time that they didn't notice Babe Ruth. Well, there so, goes yeah. there goes I that. Feel like we didn't know how amazing Kaufman was till after we had met him. 
Well, now I'm curious about how much of this is the same. Uh, so he he meets Kaufman. Kaufman tells him, I know who that's for. You know, that wig's for Morley. He's very particular. Harold Morley? Harold Morley. Of the Hamlin Company? Of the, yeah. You're, okay. you're darn tootin'. Uh, so, God, I wish I didn't remember that. I love I that wish you there remember were other that. things in my life that I remembered. Do you remember than... Morley's room? Could you paint a picture of his dressing room? I know that there was a potted plant on the windowsill. <laughs> Which makes a, a comeback. But I have to ask. Did he have a rug that they pointed out? I don't remember. And the new book, the potted plant is there. And then they're like, and a rug. And I was just like, I bet that rug really tied that room together. <laughs> and they peed on your rug, dude. And a rug uh, in, in the room. Uh, so he goes, Fenton does the same thing. It's the exact same, like, word for word, basically, of uh, that conversation. Uh, but it ends with... Fenton's like, okay, well, I'm going to go and try and figure out the hat and coat situation. Hang on. Oh, did I miss something? There's a big difference here. Oh. It's subtle, but it's huge. This, the old book. Yeah. Is written like in real time. This is happening to Fenton. He's like, we are just with Fenton. Oh, yeah, we're with Fenton. Fenton Hardy. Yeah, we are with Fenton as he is having this conversation with the manager. In the new book, he is talking to Frank and Joe. Frank and Joe come to the sleuthing. Like they they meet him in New York, and then oh. this whole thing is. Uh, let me tell you what happened. That happens already in this. So so every sentence isn't the manager picked it up. It's like, um, it's it's Fenton. Like everything starts with a quotation mark because Fenton is telling the story of like the manager game. That's You're Fenton right. Talking, not it's the him narrator. telling us what he just said. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert: the boys don't come. The boys don't come to New York at all? No. Never. Interesting. They never go to New York. That's a There's rewrite never that makes sense to me. Yeah. A little bit. Just oh. just because let's, let's because get them out. Why let's we make them, the Hardy Boys book without yeah, them in it. Let's get them in the action a little yeah. bit instead of just, you know, watching from afar, which may be this, a relic of the 20s of like, we need these kids to know you respect your well, dad. Well, that was one thing your that made me angry if they're just like, well, let's go ahead and buy the kids plane tickets, fly them out. It's like, why do they need to go there? Like, are the boys going to take it? And this in. one, it's different. It's like, well, we're not going to get them on the train. They're not going to ride a train all the way down into the city. Also, Fenton, gone for two weeks. Really? Gone for two weeks, dude. Two, two weeks. weeks? They don't hear from Fenton for an entire week. Like, all while he's doing this. So what happens next is he he goes and he tries to figure out what's going on with the hat and coat. This guy doesn't remember a thing. He's a bargain salesman. I think that happened in the original. And Fenton got nothing from him other than him trying to sell him coats. The guy's like, hey, why don't you buy a coat, huh? This hat looks great on you. <laughs> I got bargains, dude. I got deals on deals. I'll make you look real good. Uh, so he's he's there for a full week when he finally like hooks up with the cops. But yeah, and anxious waiting where the boys are – Anxious waiting, or in poor quarters, as this next chapter is called, it's a week before they even get a brief note from New York. And all it says is, like, hey, I'm okay. Things aren't going great, uh, but I'm okay. Huh. Not not coming home, mom packed your bags. You yeah. just get a stack of cash. <laughs> yeah. Seeing you know, in, in, in yeah, New York. Yeah, mom's brown bagging for you guys, all that. A couple extra pieces of cake. Yeah, yo, I'll be ready for some cake, dude. <laughs> Got full slices for you. Uh, so that's... that's <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesse just walked by. <laughs> just the 
the vignette into what our life is as <laughs> yeah. she walks by and we're hey don't forget the cake always grab a couple I of like slices cake. so that's the that's... train will take two years to make it down <laughs> in new york but the cake will, it'll keep it'll keep dude cake don't stale not moms <laughs> cakes don't stale that's uh, all of days of waiting. That's all that happens. Uh, so it now it's literally days of waiting. That, it's days of waiting. It's just uh, Fenton going around. But does we the stay with Fenton there. That's it's interesting. Fully with Fenton. No uh, Hardy Boys. Nothing but them. So he and so Fenton goes to the Crescent Theater alone. Alone. It, he does not see the play afterwards either. That never happens. Interesting. Yeah, that was what all a funny rewrite. In. Yeah, they're like, what if the boys saw a play? Well, I, and I was thinking in in the new book, they they go to the Crescent Theater um, with them, and so here we do have that uh, a potted plant in the window overlooking the alleyway and a rug on the floor. That is in the new. The version. rug is in there. Um, but then I was always, I had written weird in the margin here in the <laughs> yeah. in the new book where it says Mr. Hardy took the only chair. The boys squatted on the floor. Oh, and, that's right. And I just thought, what a – it's so interesting that they would rewrite this to include the boys, like just sh- like but wedge those are the them into this that, chapter. Yeah, and that we called like they, out. They could have also wedged in two extra chairs, <laughs> but instead somebody had written there was only one chair. And in the rewrite, they're like, ah, we're not going to write in two more chairs. The boys can squat on yeah, the floor. Yeah, the boys were never meant to be here originally, so why would there even be three chairs? This could be the kind of thing where we find out, like, in book 50, that the boys have been dead the whole time, and they're ghosts, or, like, it's the Tyler Durden <laughs> Fight Club thing, and the boys never existed. Fenton yeah. Hardy was the boys. And so when you look at it then, like, it's all oh, they squatted a psychiatric on the floor, and no one home. talked to them because no one else could see them. <gasps> I this would could love, all be setting I would up. love this twist And I feel like this M. is a good Shyamalan. idea For our personal book uh, Our Hardy and Sons memoir Yeah, when we actually Well, I was going to say When we write our own Hardy Boys book Yeah uh, I think that we need to take it in our own hands To change the entire history of the Hardy Boys We're going to retcon it like crazy Yep, and I think that's the ending I think that's a great ending They've been dead the whole time <laughs> They've been dead. Mr. Hardy's been in an institution. (laughs) It's just been screaming from the other side of the wall. That's where the cake comes from. That's all they feed him at this institution is cake. (laughs) So in his mind, as he's really thinking of the stories, he's just sitting there eating cake. cake They're just always overfeeding him, too, because he's always eating pills. So that's why he's always imagining they're always eating chicken sandwiches. Maybe he had, like, two sons that were killed in a train accident when they were, like, one and this is just oh his manifestation. This is a dark. This, this is, is M. This Night Shyamalan. This, this is, is unbreakable gritty, here. This is the gritty remake. <laughs> yeah. The gritty reboot yeah. of the Hardy Boys. We, oh, dude. They did that with the Turtles. Why not do it with the Hardy Boys? Yeah. We want to do the gritty remake of the Hardy you Boys. You think we can get Megan Fox to play Joe Hardy? Well, yeah, I think so. I okay. think we need to keep things you and know, Shia relevant. LaBeouf. Yeah, well, of course we're going to get Shia LaBeouf. We're not going to get Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> That's the first person I had on my list. <laughs> We're basically doing Transformers. Oh <laughs> just to them solving but crimes. But Bumblebee, one is Joe Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. I love it. So now all of a sudden that sleeping in the same room is a lot different. <laughs> when they're robots and they're dead. Go ahead and like Kickstarter. Hardy boys. Hardy boys. robot zombies. <laughs> it's perfect. These sound great. It practically writes itself. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> We're going to make millions. We're going to make $1,000, 1920s. Oh, money. my God. Yeah. Serious cash. That cash. That cash, cash. Okay, so Fenton, that's right. So he's down in New York, right? 
He's down in New York. Everything's a bust. What has he got to go off of what he heard from Morley? Someone stole a ring from him and uh, some other... And some paintings. And some paintings. <laughs> and a ring I left next to the mirror. <laughs> My favorite joke. Um, so he's like, okay, maybe I should look into this, and this might lead me to our red, our redwig thief. So now in Poor Quarters, the next chapter, he's working with the police, um, and basically what happened... This chapter uh, is called In Poor Quarters? Yes, um, because... Oh, is this when he lives in the halfway house? This... Oh, I'm sorry. That's Red Jackley. In Poor Quarters, uh, we briefly know that Fenton is now working with the police in New York City, right? Uh, but now we're back with the Hardy Boys. So In Poor Quarters, and this is really interesting, from 108 to 110... Kali confronts Frank because he hasn't been his normal fun self recently. Hmm. Frank is really upset, and Frank fears that his dad can't solve this case. Not that his dad's not safe, but that his dad is incapable of solving, solving this case. case. Yeah. Interesting. He is... They do not, like, worship their dad now. Yeah. They're not like, well, it's dad. He can do anything. It's very much like... I think Slim's dad might be in trouble. I don't know if dad's going to be able to solve this. We just heard from him. Things aren't going well. Our clues were a bust. That's interesting. And he knows at this point that Slim's dad can't get a job. And they added the chapter in the new book where they like search every garage in Bayport, public and private. Yeah, that's right. And in that is like, I get to ride with dad. Yeah. Like they're so, like they idolize him. Yeah. Almost fetishize him in a way in a weird strange way and in, in this version you're saying it's it, there they don't even think he can do anything yeah he's worthless wow yeah wow we're better than dad he can go live with his other family for us yeah care. i don't care if he leaves us go ahead dad more cake for us yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> dad's a jerk he never lets me play in the gymnasium no no joe you just <laughs> yeah. relax I don't even know who that was. I was guessing that was mom. I think that's Miss Hardy. <laughs> Settling down with Mr. Robinson. Yeah. I still like that twist. I think that's a great ending. Uh, so Frank and Kylie are talking. Frank also... I have to imagine that in this book, Mrs. Hardy is like a senior at Bayport High. Like undercover? Or like she actually is a legit senior? Like, like she's I, a I was young, just starting she's a to think, woman. like, how old is this woman? Like, I was picturing, like... A middle-aged, like, like, yeah, 45, 40, 40, I mean, not 55, not as old as well, no, Mrs. Not Applegate. Mrs. Applegate. Mrs. Applegate. She's crossing the me. line there. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, how young is a, like, in Mad Men, mm-hmm. which I've only started rewatching a little bit. I've never seen With John Hamm. He is the Mad Man. Yes. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> but the, uh, like, his wife is, like, 23, and they've got, you know, a a six-year-old and or mm-hmm. like an eight-year-old and a four-year-old or something like that like but she's crazy young yeah but that's like standard like all the women all the moms yeah, like 20 years younger young. yeah. usually so i got to imagine that mrs hardy is like yeah 19 i mean that makes sense you can definitely have a child at four yeah especially in the 1920s especially your bodies 20s. develop quicker we've we've yeah. talked about this yeah. exactly since you die at 60 you start birthing children at four mm-hmm <laughs> Circle of life. The math checks out. They wrote a whole yeah. movie about it. Yeah. <laughs> Called The Lion King. Look it up. Google it. 
Sorry, I digress. You were you were about to take us somewhere useful, and then I took us here instead. I like that. I think that's more useful because this is just this is sad mopey stuff. Uh, Frank basically tells Kali like, "I feel bad for Slim, and I want to visit him, but I'm sure his family is embarrassed about their living predicament. Like, their dad lost their job. They're living in, in a quarters." Poor- is the Robinsons. Yep. Okay. So Frank doesn't want to... He wants to visit and check in on them, see how they're doing, but he thinks it's going to put them like off. He's like, we don't want anyone at our house. Like, we're really embarrassed of what's going on. In which Callie's like, no, I know the, the two younger twins. Are, Paula you know, and Tessie. I know Paula and Tessie. They're not like that. They would feel blessed to have you there. We should visit them. So Callie is pushing Frank. And this happens a lot in this chapter. Of Kali being like, no, Frank, you need to be better. And I'm like, I can see why this is Frank's favorite girl. Yeah. She is a strong character. A strong woman. She's a strong in, woman. In, in the first book, Mr. Hardy, or, uh, Frank Hardy had a ham that Mrs. Hardy made. And she was oh, like, take right. this ham to the Robinsons. And, yeah, it was the parents and then, telling like, them to Callie do it. Callie came along. Yeah. But it was Frank's like initiative to go and visit and tell them or not tell them, like, you know, what's been happening with, with yeah. them, what they found out at a play. They're switching it up. And now, like, there's no clues. They know nothing. So they're going in empty-handed. They're just visiting and seeing how they're doing. And now, my, my first two examples here are comedies of Arrested Development and It's Always Classic. Sunny in Philadelphia. Classic. But I feel like some of the best ensembles are when all the characters are flawed. Like, oh, obviously yeah. flawed. yeah. And it, where it's not the easy damsel in distress and knight in shining armor sort mm-hmm. of situation. You flip and, everything on its butt. And yeah, like, like we said, we've got new Fenton Hardy, who's this overly polished sage of a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got these boys who are these capable, strong, detective young adults. But in this original, we've got everybody's flawed. Everyone is. And and I appreciate that. This and is this is a more realistic world for me. I know. I'm enjoying it way more. They're about to get even more flawed. Oh, I'm excited. Everyone gets more flawed. Oh. And it is fantastic. Oh. Uh so um Frank and Kali, this clears up another we talked about this in the last episode of um a lot of problems came from the rewrite because they would use some of the same dialogue and same scenes but with different technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is Frank and Kali have that conversation of Kali like saying like, oh, this is disgusting. Look at this neighborhood. Yeah, it's they, so poor. They were on a bus. On a bus with the people who live there. Yeah. In this one, Frank and Kali take a streetcar. Ooh. So they're just in like a taxi car. It's just them and the driver. And the driver's from the area they're from. So it makes more sense for her to be like, oh, this is disgusting. Wait, isn't a streetcar a train? Like in San Francisco, they've got streetcars. Like you can have a streetcar. I guess I'm wrong then. I imagined it was just a a taxi. a car on the street. That's what they call it in the This is like the thing at the loop that never runs. Yeah. This is a trolley. I saw it running... On Friday. No, that was an optical illusion, dude. I, I was... They have holograms yeah, now. I was giddy. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, this this trolley's finally running. But yeah, I think a streetcar is just... Like oh, a well, street that's car a named Desire. Like, that's about the, 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 the... It was basically a bus that they put on tracks. Oh, uh, that's right. And then they had a cable system underground, pull it. So Kali's still a turd. So, yeah, Kali's still yeah, a Yeah, she's still a big turd. old turd. 
But the technology did upgrade. Where now they're burning fossil fuels. Yeah, now we're using a bus. Yeah, now to we're the Italian now we district. have a carbon footprint. Yeah, which is better. Okay, well there there goes that. Um, go to page one hundred and fifteen for me. All right, last page of the chapter. Let's see. It, this just says the whole page. Okay. Mercy, she exclaimed, glancing at her watch. It's after six. I'm away late for supper. So am I. See you tomorrow. Uh, hyphenated. Surely, but Frank... Yes. Callie hesitated and then looked directly into his eyes. Oh, yeah. Frank, she said, if your father somehow doesn't clear up this affair, you and Joe simply must do it. You must for the Robinsons. It means so much mm. to them. Dad won't fall down on it. Don't worry. And Joe and I are given all the help we can. His confidence was contagious. Callie brightened up immediately. In that case, she said gaily, the mystery is as good as solved. The, best three, the three best detectives in the world are working on it. Goodbye, Frank. And with that, and with that she ran lightly into the house. That's it. And with that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and with the, that the boys fell asleep have you seen the movie mafia oh i love mafia jay moore and, uh, and yeah, Lloyd like bridges the, the godfather parody yeah, yeah. christine applegate yeah and there's a scene in it which is there's a scene in the godfather where she's like don't like did you kill these men tell me like she throws the newspaper down and it says like people murdered and he's like don't ask me about my business Kay. she's like did you murder them and he's like this once this once I'll let you ask me about my business. It's like, did you murder these men? And he says, no. And then she hugs him, but goes away, like, clearly shaken. And he lies, like, straight to her face. Like, he yeah. did kill all those people. And in Mafia, when they parody that, Christina Applegate busts into the office, like, did you kill these people? Did you? And, like, he's sitting at his desk, and there's a receipt from the bullet store that he, like, brushes <laughs> aside. And she's like, and he goes, no, I didn't kill those men. And Christine Applegate just flips like a light switch. She's like, oh, okay. I'm going to go get some frozen yogurt. And like <laughs> jumps out of the... But it's clearly such like a ridiculous change in, in temperament. Yeah. And that's exactly what just happened, what happened here. here. Yeah, like, it's oh written God. like a screwball comedy. You must. You must. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> they got the best detectives in the world. Good night. <laughs> Goodbye, Frank. With Good that, night, Frank. Out. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, Callie fell asleep on the stoop. <laughs> so that's that's that chapter. They they talked to everyone. Uh, of course, Mrs. Robinson was worried. He did the classic, like, we'll get this figured out. Everything's going to be okay. I like that end moment, though, between uh, Frank and Callie. Because yeah. that's, again, it's her pushing him forward and just saying, like, if your dad can't do it. And there, again, more doubt in Fenton. Mm -hmm. And this time from Callie. So it's like a lot of people have doubts that yes fenton's a great detective but he might not be able to solve this one yeah drives those stakes baby I, I think it's also cool that we get this like more time with callie yeah she's not just a one-off character i feel like while she's still technically like supporting cast yeah we get to know her a little bit and she's not just someone who cooks and drops cakes Right, <laughs> we we get to we, we get to know what she's passionate about. Well, she's, and that she's pushing not just horrified Frank about the Italian forward too. Yeah. Exactly, it's not just like I'm it's in a, here just to be a pretty girl. It's more of I'm in here to continuously push you, Frank, and that's a reason to have a character. 
versus, yeah, like you said, just someone to cook and drop yeah. cakes. And then I'm looking here. Our next chapter. Red Jackley. So that was all in A Disturbing Absence in the first book. Or I keep saying the first book. The first book we read, which was... Uh, or no, it was all in the chapter Anxious Waiting. Yes, final answer. In in the in the new book, Anxious Waiting was oh, the last two chapters combined. Right. Um so so we're with uh we're with Hardy's and uh and they visit the Robinsons. That's all in Anxious Waiting. They renamed part of it in Poor Quarters in the old book. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to follow along in my head here. Oh Keep no, good. Good for you. Uh, okay, are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. Uh, Red Jackley. So we just have a chapter called Red Jackley. Go ahead and go to the first page. We have our first sign of uh, a different time of uh, somewhat racism. I, I imagine. Should I read? Yes. Just, just the very start. first paragraph. It was another week before Fenton Hardy returned to Bayport. Contrary to the expectation of the boys, he did not arrive from New York. Instead, he came home early one morning, having reached the city by a train from the west. He had sent no advance notice of his arrival, and the first of his sons knew it, and the first his sons knew of it was when a servant told them that their father had reached the house in the early hours of the morning, plainly careworn and travel-stained. He had gone immediately to bed, leaving orders that in on no account was he to be disturbed. Which, that's our first glimpse that the Hardys have servants. Servants, yeah. Interesting. So I was like, okay, where is this taking us? Because I remember in the blue one, it was mom that told them, like, well, don't wake up your dad. Yeah. So they clearly had taken out the servants. They got and if it was servants. a thing where if it was like, oh, well, you know, sometimes people have housemaids. This clearly wasn't a housemaid or anything like that. They found the need to change that. Yeah. So uh, that was the the first sign of things. Then... Then we get more signs? Oh, no. No, it's... This, okay, okay, so this this doesn't get racist. This is actually an issue that we had with the new book. That's not in the old book. Go to page 117. 117, I'm here. Uh, so after school baseball game. Yes. Go ahead and read that. Uh, all afternoon they were tormented by curiosity. Where had their father been? What had he discovered? As soon as school was out, they fled down the steps, broke away from a group of boys anxious to get to a baseball game, and shattered all records in their race for home. They skipped practice. They skipped, they skipped practice. the game. Everyone's going to the game. Yeah. And they instead race home to their father. And this comes back later. This is Chet and the whole gang playing. They made a prior commitment to play with them that they broke to run home and talk to their dad about the case. Wow. That's the normal right way yeah. to live your life. Why would you change that? Yeah. Why would you be like, no, boys need to play baseball. It's they like need to go to practice. Sentence. It's like one sentence different. Yeah. Where like in, in the in the new book, when they go to baseball practice, we don't get a page of them talking at baseball practice. It no, just it says just... they went to baseball practice and then went home. And then home. went home. Yeah. And I gotta I gotta think this is like the nineteen fifties like 
Even if you boys want to be detectives, you got to play gotta ball. Go to baseball, right? Like, yeah, you got to be in shape. Wanna, they didn't want to whip these these readers up into a frenzy. Where like, oh, we're gonna skip stuff to be detectives. Like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you got to do your ball. Even if your dad has been asleep after he's been missing for two weeks, and the servant said to leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. We're going to make sure that you go to baseball practice. Give, give your father some time. Yeah. Give your father a couple Dad minutes to relax. Dad needs a little alone time with mom. You get <laughs> it. A little alone time, a little whiskey. Yeah. A little whiskey, a little cigar, a little Fenton time. Um, <laughs> I just had, This just says um, 118 to 119, and in parentheses, all gold. So I imagine both of these pages are fantastic. Well, shall I? You shall. All right. Mr. Hardy raised his eyebrows, pretending not to understand. About what? He inquired. About the case. The Tower Mansion case. The red wig. Did you find out who owned it? Did you catch the thief? Whoa, whoa. Not all at once. A question at a time, please. Now, do I understand that you want to know if I found out anything about the Tower Mansion affair? Don't keep us waiting, Dad, pleaded Joe. You know that's what we're asking you about? Well, answered Mr. Hardy. Yes. And no. Well, that's not much of an answer. <laughs> that's not much of an answer, objected so, Frank in disappointment. What's great here is they ask him, like, did you find anything? And he's like, maybe. So he's just playing with his 15-year-old kids right now, having a good time with them. And I love that. And, again, while the uh, the Robinsons <laughs> yeah. are rotting away in prison. <laughs> he is not giving them, sh- like, straight answers on anything. Well, that's not much of an answer, objected Frank in disappointment. It's the best answer I can give, unfortunately. I did find <laughs> out something about the red wig, but as far as connecting its wearer with the tower robbery, that is still to come. You traced to the fellow who wore the wig? I did, and it turned out to be a well-known criminal. Well-known to the police, that is. What's his name? asked Joe. Jackley. John Jackley. Commonly known as Red. Was his name John Jackley in the... I don't remember being I John Jack. Right. I thought it was just Red Jackley, but I think you're right, too. I think no, it they, they, John gave, Jackley, they gave a name they just and call said him he, Red. He, yeah. Yeah. Commonly known as Red. Because he had red hair? No. Because he hasn't red hair. <laughs> that reverses the usual order of nicknames, I imagine. This fellow Jackley has a fondness for wearing red wigs. And was he the man who stole Chet's roadster? It seems almost certain. I traced the wig, which had been originally stolen from an actor in New York. I traced it to Jackley because his habit of wearing red wigs is well known to the police. And by locating him and keeping a close watch on him and paying a call at his room one night to find when he was out, I managed to find some of the loot that it had... Whoa! Right? This is amazing. So it changes yeah. things up. It's it's a smarter Paying way to do this. a call at his home, at his room one night while he was out, I managed to find some of the loot that he had taken when he robbed the actor. Yep. That so seemed to connect everything up very well. We have the callback to what Harold Morley was saying of, I had things stolen. Fenton goes down, calls him up, sneaks into his house, finds that loot. Yeah. Boom. Connection. Boom. Connection. Exactly. And that was missing. We only heard Harold Morley complain about things being yeah, stolen. Yeah, and it was and never just, resolved. Yeah, nothing. Where did you end up finding him? Asked Frank. In New York. He wasn't in hiding, for he hadn't been sought for any particular crime at the time. The police seemed to overlook him in their investigation of the dressing room theft. Did you accuse him? No. <laughs> I wanted to learn more. 
When I found the articles that had been stolen from the actor and knew that the wig was found by the roadster had been taken at the same time, I knew Red Jackley was the auto thief. But I wanted to get some information on the Tower Mansion affair if possible, so I took a room in the house in which Jackley was living and kept a close watch on him. Classic. Classic Fenton. Uh, so interesting. So that also all plays out the same. Uh, Jackley ends up running from him, but this time he ends up stealing a gasoline speeder. Oh, which looks like uh, it kind of looks like a little Fiat. Did you Google it? Yeah, because I was like, "What's a gasoline speeder?" And it's just like uh, a mini train, and it it honestly looks like a Fiat. But it goes on train tracks. But it's on train tracks, yeah. Huh. It's like a little car on train tracks. So when he flips that, it's a whole thing. It's not a little hand it's not car. It's hand car. Yeah. This is actually more dangerous because it's like a little vehicle. So when he flips that, yeah, of course that would almost kill him. Interesting. In the first book, the, yeah, okay, they're, they're in New York. They're working with the detectives mm-hmm. to find these things. He makes the boys go home at that point. No. Right? Because isn't he nervous Almost. that they're going to get... With with the boys, they find his name was John Jackley, but he was known as Red Jackley because when caught before going to prison, he had been wearing a red wig. Um, So that's that's everything. Yeah. Uh, and then when they're like, we found out he's nearby, we're going to go to his house, that's when Fenton's like, okay, I'm going to send you guys home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Red Jackley's house i'm gonna take up a room in this place um you guys go home so but but they're there it's not fenton hardy coming back and telling them about red jackley right it's they're there to find that out interesting very interesting right and now things get even more interesting oh and this is i I, my whole hang on before you go where you're going oh yeah my whole skepticism the whole time of reading the new book I was thinking, like, I want it to not be Jackley. Oh, yeah, I know. Like, it was all based on the confession. Yeah. And that little, like, to know that there was a red wig found in Chet's car, essentially. Yeah, this this man who's notorious for not having red hair, for stealing red wigs and committing crimes, and happens to leave part of his red wig. Yeah, and, and that being based on a confession. But we have actual evidence that shows this wig... Found at the car accident with the boys was traced to be Harold Morley's, and that wig was stolen with some loot, and that loot was found with Red Jackie. Yeah. So that's a direct connection to say this wig was stolen oh, I see from what this you're going guy. For it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's enough. You to can like, tie it okay, in better. Let's like, okay, this. let's look into this. Yeah, but in the, <laughs> in the rewrite, <laughs> they took out the evidence. Which why even mention that in the first place? You know, what we should add in in this book. Hearsay. We should just add in a hunch. Yeah. Let's take out the whole part where we where we we're find things. It. Yeah. Where, where yeah. We resolve the case. Let's put a little mystery in there. Let's have a mention. Maybe people will be like, well, maybe Morley's involved. Maybe Morley stole the Thomas <laughs> Treasure. Book two is going to be all about Morley. Yeah, it's all about book. Morley. Everyone keeps telling me, I want more. I want more Morley. More Morley. More Morley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go down to Fazoli's, get me some Mamoli. <laughs> I'll take your finest gallon of Mamoli. Let me dip my breadsticks in that Mamoli. 
<laughs> Where are we? Live from Fazoli's. <laughs> we still haven't done our Fazoli's live. I know chapter. it needs to happen. I'm dying to do that Fazoli's. Um, let's see. So Fenton is back at home. I just have, there's another mention of the servant at the top of 123. I don't think that's important. Here's where things get important, and here's a big change. The detective winked at the boys and told the servant to show the chief in. So the chief and Smuff show up. Uh, so Colleg and Smuff heard about Fenton um, finding this red-haired man. They heard about Red Jack. Like news traveled all the way here, and Fenton's like, I can't believe news already traveled here about the man that got injured and how he's in the hospital, and mm-hmm. he might confess. Fenton tells the boys that the cops usually take his uh, work and claim it for themselves. So that the police are actually stealing all of Fenton's work and they claim the fame and the riches that come with some of these cases being solved. Hmm. So he doesn't want to speak to Smuff or colleague of fear that they're going to take the credit and get the reward money. I'll be done. Which is insanely interesting. That's an interesting dynamic that's laid out between private detectives right? and the police force. So um, now I see why they took Smuff off of it because they still wanted that dynamic. But now it's just with this goofy uh, private investigator. He's not obscuring justice with the police. He's not holding back information. And that's why I was saying, like, I'm curious how much a private detective has to tell the police because Fenton is very resilient to tell them anything. Interesting. He is playing dumb. He's just like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Um, oh, man. I'm just turning pages. I was going to say, I'm 124 seeing... to 125 is fascinating. Oh, wow. I mean, Fenton has his best line of this entire book when I, he is that's, accused. That's what I saw. <laughs> that left off the page for me. <laughs> You've been working on it, eh? Perhaps. You've been out of town for quite a few days. You must have been working on it. That's what we deduce anyway. How do you spell deduce? D-E-D-U-C-E. The detective Smuff says D-E-D-O-O-C-E is how it's written on this page. Deduce. (laughs) Deduce. I'm deucing. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we deduce anyway, put in Detective Smuff. Perhaps it's my own business. Police business is everybody's business, declared colleague judicially. What we want to know is, did you find any clues? Detective Smuff fished out the inevitable notebook and pencil. I'll note them down, chief, he remarked. You may as well put back the notebook, Smuff, snapped Fenton Hardy with annoyance. If I went away, it is my own business. And if I am still working on the tower robbery, that's my business too. I'll thank you to keep to your own affairs. Chief colleague opened his mouth. Then closed it again. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> That's good writing. Was he a fish? He t- <laughs> he took out his handkerchief and mopped his brow, all the while staring at Fenton Hardy. Then he turned and gazed at Smuff. Detective Smuff, he said in a solemn voice. Did you hear that? I did. What do you think of it, Detective Smuff? I think... I think, Detective Smuff groped for an expression that would encompass the magnitude of the offense. I think Mr. Hardy is guilty of obstructing the cause of justice, he said grandly. Obstructing fiddlesticks, (laughs) said Mr. Hardy. 
<laughs> what a delivery, too. Obstructing fiddlesticks. I have to imagine that is the original F word. Yeah, like fiddlesticks. Did you hear what he just said? He dropped an F bomb. Yeah, there's Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Hardy's just in the faint. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, the vapors. Interesting. So they come straight at him. Yeah. Uh, this isn't and, like. And Fenton, even after that, he calls out uh, Smuff and Kyle, just saying, All you want is that reward. Like, you're trying to get me on obstructing uh, justice because you're after that $1,000 reward as well. So this just ups that mad, 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 world theory of like everyone is after this highly crazy $1,000 reward for this time. Man, there was just page after page of them arguing, saying like, did this happen? I don't know. Well, tell us something. Like, well, I don't know that I know anything. Yeah. Which I honestly, I don't know if Fenton's in the right or wrong here if he has to tell them because he is hired privately by um uh slim that'd be interesting to no i don't think he has to tell them anything and is they're like almost attorney like, client privilege yeah this is almost extortion through the police and the police are seen in a bad light here because they are just saying like well i'm gonna let this detective do all my work this private detective who's not associated with us and we're just gonna swoop in get the money get the fame yeah and it's not the boys the boys have not once been rude to police officers at all and and neither is Fenton. They're just saying like, oh, well, we're not going to tell you. But that just is a testament to the 50s and how like goody two-shoe like, oh, well, pay attention to the police officers. Ask They're them for the baseball help. cards. Yeah. They'll give you chewing gum. <laughs> Learn to trust them. And it makes more like, sense. This is more anarchic. In the new book, they're trying to outsmart Smuff because Smuff's going to go muck up this uh, questioning. If Smuff yeah. makes it to Red Jackley on his deathbed to question him. Um, you know, he's going to close up like a clam. And in the old book, it's the it's the cops in general that they're yeah. trying to keep out of there. And so, yeah, that's some. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's a different dynamic. of Yeah, yeah we're we're it's who's we're in the right and who's authority. in the wrong. Yeah. Now Fenton is kind of like on that line of is he doing the right thing or not? I like it. I do, too. I and like it, it. it's making Fenton a little shadier and a little bit more like a private eye. Yeah. Like, he is doing his job. This is a job for him. And I, I, ooh, do I love this. I love it so much more. So uh, Smuff and Colleg are like, listen, you don't have to tell us anything if you don't want to. Uh, We heard that, you know, Jack Lee is awake and we're going to take the 7 p.m. train tonight to speak to Jack Lee. So they're planning on leaving, like, ASAP. And uh, they're like, if you're going to be, if you're unwilling to cooperate with us then uh was that hyphenated somewhere oh you know you know it was of course it was so they're they're very much calling them out and they're just saying we're just gonna do this on our own we're going down tonight we're taking that 7 p.m train um i have page 127 best expositional dialogue of all time i don't know what that is that's all i wrote uh there is something to he's like You'll just spoil everything. Jackley will talk when the time comes. Oh, ho! Said Detective Smuff triumphantly. Then there is something to it, hey? I knew there was, said Chief Colleague. Come on, Smuff. We'll make this man Jackley talk yet. We're officers of the law, we are. And I'd like to see any doctor keep us from doing our duty. 
He mopped his brow again, put on his hat, nodded at Fenton Hardy, and clumped out of the room. Detective Smuff, putting his notebook back into his pocket, followed. The door closed behind them. Mr. Hardy sat back with a gesture of despair. They'll spoil everything, he said. They're just so clumsy that Red Jackley will will close up like a clam if they try to make him talk. Perhaps, remarked Frank significantly, they'll miss their train. (laughs) At that moment, the telephone rang. Mr. Hardy answered it. Oh, that's it. Yeah, here it is. Hello. Yes, this is Fenton Hardy. Yes. Oh, yes, doctor. (laughs) He is. Well, well, is that so? Won't live until morning? (laughs) I can see him? Fine. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Won't live till morning? (laughs) And with that moment, the phone rang. Precisely. Oh, man. There, just my luck. Red Jackley is dying, and the doctor says I can see him tonight. But Collig and Smuff will have the first right to talk to them, for they are officials, and I'm only a private detective. Interesting. Yeah. If Jackley confesses, they'll have the credit for it. There it is. And then Frank, this chapter's cliffhanger ends with, they'll just have to miss their train, said Frank. Come on, Joe. Let's see what we can do. And, oh, my God. Sean. So, hang on. In the the new book, (laughs) the chapter ends with, like, so there is something to it, Smuff said triumphantly. Well, I'm going over there and get a confession. With that, he arose, stumped out of the room, and left the house. Yeah. Um, he clumped out in the old version. Now he's stumped out. <laughs> yeah, good change. Good choice. Yeah. Um, but then we don't get any of that, like, oh, sounds like he's got to miss his train. And then the next chapter is just called Teamwork, yeah. where they fake a fire in Rocco's <laughs> shop. And instead of going to a chapter called Teamwork, <laughs> we move... From from that chapter, we're just into the next chapter. The chief gets a bomb. <laughs> this is the chapter we have been waiting for. And it gave us, or you're about to get everything you've wanted from oh this book. Oh, my God. Everything and more. My mouth dropped. <laughs> While reading, yes, uh, and yours will too. I would don't even look at it I'm, yet. Yeah, uh, you are gonna have to read a lot, but uh, <laughs> worth it. This, this is everything. It's this everything is the we book. Wanted. This is uh, what I've been dying to get to. So we start off with uh, the boys, their dad. Um, Needs to get there before then. They need to make sure that they miss the 7 o'clock train, Smuff and, and Colleg. Yeah. So they're just like, let's get the boys together. Remember that gang that we introduced earlier that we never gave their names? Yeah. Let's do it now. We're going to get names now. We're going to assemble the team. Oh, baby. And Tony Prudo is a part of that team. Oh, baby. So the gang, uh, they finally go down to the old baseball field. Because like, yeah, that's where they're going to be. We skipped out on uh, practice. Oh, and right. they see Chet. And Chet just is like... Hey, Pikers! Which I had to look up. It's someone who withdraws from a commitment. And he's just like, yeah, you're not going to play baseball with us, but now you're going to show up just as the game ends? Pikers. I have to, like, part of me, the the initial part of me is like, I should say Pikers. That's good. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) But a big part of me is scared that that has some awful undertone to it that I... Like I would, I would use that somewhere, like on set or something. Be like, "All right, fine, pikers." And like, what, the <laughs> what the hell did you just say? say? Yeah, God, John, don't say that. Do you not know what that means? Clem is, 
Clem is from <laughs> Norway. Like, that's terrible to Norwegian people. <laughs> Clem's like, that's our word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Clem. Hikers. So uh, you're going to want 130. Just all of it? The gang consisted of the boys who had been with Frank and Joe the day they held the picnic in the woods. There was, of course... I love that the narrator includes of that wasn't me. Yeah, that's a good words of course. Read, there was, of course, Chet Morton. Besides him were Alan Hooper, otherwise known as Biff, because of his passion for boxing. Yeah, no no uncle or anything. I guess Biff was maybe a Yeah, maybe everyone knew a in the term 20s. or a famous boxer in the twenties. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting to know. Yeah, I should look I should have looked into Biff. And then that would make sense in the fifties, they'd be like, Hey, no one knows who Biff is anymore. Why don't we say it's his uncle? It's his uncle. Hey, kid's your uncle. Think Wait, wasn't st- an uncle or just a distant relative? Oh, you're right. And I couldn't just, agree yeah. if it was like a living or dead relative. <laughs> the laziest writing. Uh, let's see. Biff, because of his passion for boxing, Jerry Gilroy, Phil Cohen, and Tony Preto, all students at the Bayport High School. They were usually to be found on the school campus after hours playing ball, and there the Hardys, the Hardy boys soon located them. The game was just breaking up. Pikers. Grinned Ched Morton when he saw the Hardy Boys approaching. You wouldn't play ball when we asked you to, and now you come around when the game's all over. We had something more important on our minds, replied Frank. We need your help. (laughs) 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 Do it. Do it right. What's the matter? M A T T A H. M A T T A H. Get ready for this description of Preto. Oh What's my the God. matter? What's the matter? Asked Tony Preto. Tony was the son of a prosperous Italian building contractor, but he had not yet been in America long enough to talk the language without an accent, and his attempts were frequently the cause of much amusement to his companions. He was quick and good natured, however, and laughed as, as much at his own errors as anyone else did. You know how in the beginning of the book when they were talking about Fenton Hardy, they had to do the like explanation of like he was he was cool with his sons. Yeah. He wasn't distant. Yeah, he like, was I'm gonna turn the chair he backwards. He was like an older brother. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like they just did that with like Yeah, Tony's He's Italian, Italian but. but yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what that <laughs> is. is. But uh, g- g- give him a break. His uncle's a contractor. They're stealing all of our money. But even though he's broken English and it's hilarious that he can't pronounce words right. right. He knows he's dumb, too. What's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? Chief colleague and Detective Smuff are butting into one of Dad's cases, said Frank. We can't tell you much more about it than that. But the whole thing is that they mustn't catch the 7 o'clock train. What do you want us to do? Asked Biff Hooper. Blow up the bridge. <laughs> All right, Biff. Wow. Yeah. Right, I like right out the going. gate. It has you, not built yet. Yeah. That was first That's the punch. first thing. I'm coming out just swinging. like, Biff, do you have what it takes to blow up the, the bridge? Like, do you <laughs> have these supplies? Just say the word. In 1920? Just say the word. <laughs> yeah. That bridge is gone in an hour. Biff chewing on a matchstick. <laughs> <laughs> you want that bridge gone? I'll take care of it right now. <laughs> What's the matter? Been waiting for years. Biff, noticeably older at 31 than the rest of <laughs> Biff, repeating junior year for the eighth time. <laughs> the boys never really discussed Biff's obvious age difference to the rest of the group. <laughs> nor, nor his criminal history. <laughs> he was into boxing. He was a promoter. 
Biff is just shaving this whole time, too. <laughs> just straight razor shit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to take out this bridge? Dry shaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> we so, might as well lock Collig and Smuff in one of their own cells, suggested Phil Cohen. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you going to? No, I was just going to say, yeah. Keep Keep going. Keep reading here. Keep going. And get locked in ourselves, added Jerry Gilroy. Be sensible. Are you serious about this, Frank? Absolutely. If those two catch that train, Dad's case will be ruined. And I don't mind telling you that it has something to do with Perry Robinson. Chet Morton whistled. Aha! I see now. The Tower Affair. In that case, we'll see to it that the 7 o'clock train leaves here without our worthy chief and is equally worthy although dumb, detective. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Oh, and then we get this little exposition. This is the uh, best thing. So this is why Chet dislikes Smuff. Yeah. He hated Smuff, for the sleuth had once or twice tried to arrest the boys for bathing in a forbidden section of the bay. I think that's in the original. No, it was... I thought it was because uh, of Chet, like... Wasn't he driving, like, super fast or something to do with his car? Was it for bathing? Um, maybe it wasn't just felt weird because in the original they didn't Chet had a special dislike for Smuff because the man had once reported him for swimming in the bay after hours okay so this is a like uh, another strange little reoccurring thing yeah well because in this book it doesn't talk about them during the picnic going for don't know your point oh yeah in the uh, the blue book, the non-racist book, they don't talk about the boys uh, going for four swims during the picnic lunch. That's true. So that sets up in this one, like, oh, these boys are always swimming. They love swimming. Yeah. Get them down in the old swimming hole. And they're swimming in a forbidden place in the bay. Yeah. And Smuff is just like, I'm not having that. You're not swimming in this area. And I'm going to twice try to arrest you. Yeah. At 15, too. Yeah. Who's arresting kids? A 15-year-old for swimming. That's... That's bad stuff. Yeah. I don't like Smuff. Smuff's a jerk, dude. He really is. He's not so fun and lovable anymore. Uh, I'm going to warn you. We're coming up, and I feel like you should just read to it and get there. Okay. Okay. Because it's it's on uh, 132, and we're almost there. Yeah, we're at the bottom 131 I'd say just go to it. Okay. There is only one question left, said Phil solemnly. And what is that? How to keep them from getting on the train. Get your brains to work, fellas. If you have any, ordered Jerry Gilroy, let's figure out a plan. A dozen plans were suggested, each wilder than the one before. Biff Hooper was in favor of kidnapping the chief and his detective, binding them hand and foot, and setting them adrift in the bay on an open boat. That was in the That's in the original, but now we have two instead of one, tying them together. Yeah. Phil Cohen. Oh, God. I know know where we're going, and I'm so excited. Phil Cohen suggested putting the chief's watch an hour ahead. That plan, as Frank observed, would have been good, would have been a good one, but for the little difficulty of laying hands on the watch. Chet Morton thought it would be a good idea to start a fight in front of the police station just as Colleague and Smuff were about to leave for the train. The possibility that they might all land in jail as a result made the suggestion unpopular. If we oh <laughs> Jesus, it's here. <laughs> It's here. It's finally my here. My mouth dropped. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is Tony Preto. If we were in Italy, we could get the Black Hand to help. 
The black hand, declared Chet. <laughs> That's a good idea. We got no black hand society in Bayport, objected Tony. Well, let's get one up. Send the chief a black hand letter warning him not to take that train. And if he ever found out who wrote it, oh, this is Joe, sorry. And if he ever found out who wrote it, we'd all be up to our necks in trouble, pointed out Joe. <laughs> I'd like to put a bomb under his old police station. Fine idea, applauded Tony. Where we get the bomb. <laughs> So, just just to, the quick contrast is Chet's like, "Hey, let's let's write up a a black hand letter, a threatening letter." Yeah, and then Joe's like, "I don't know, a letter could get us in trouble." I'd like, like to, to put, put a, a bomb. bomb. And Tony's Tony's objection is just fine idea. Where are we gonna get the bomb? <laughs> There's no like, hey, fighting could get us arrested. You know, it, all these things could get us in trouble. But a bomb. But a bomb. Just gotta baby. find it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Fine idea. Fine idea, applauded Tony. Where we get the bomb. Leave it to me, announced Chet Morton mysteriously. <laughs> I'll get a bomb. I'll guarantee to keep the chief in town. Not a real bomb, asked Frank. Why not? said Chet. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> These kids are awesome. <laughs> They're 15. They're evil. This is fantastic. Chet proceeded to lay forth his plan in a stealthy whisper. It was received with chuckles and murmurs of admiration. His companions clapped him on the back, and when he had finished, the boys hastened down the street toward the hardy home. Do you want me to keep reading? Oh, yeah. Okay. In the rear of the house were a garage and an old barn. In the barn was a gymnasium that the Hardy Boys had fitted out for themselves, and here was the usual, usual collection of old toys, footballs, broken baseball bats, and such paraphernalia to be found wherever boys stored their cherished possessions. That's a weird collection of cherished possessions. <laughs> yeah, I know. Psychopaths, you know, broken dude. baseball bats, yeah. cherished possessions. Yeah. This is the one I cranked it out of the park <laughs> with. <laughs> this one was two homers. <laughs> this one was a grand slam. Save all of them. Yeah. Frank groped about... I used about- this to beat up some cops. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to take credit for some I found. <laughs> yeah, that's dead. If only I had a bomb that day. <laughs> Frank groped about among the rubbish in one corner until at last he rose with an exclamation of triumph, holding aloft a shiny, a shining object. It's here, he said. Let's get busy. There's no time to lose. An old box was quickly produced, and in it the shining object was placed. The box was then carefully wrapped up, and in a few minutes, the boys left the barn, Tony carrying the package under one arm. <laughs> oh, God. It's everything. It's a suicide bomber. It's everything it's a suicide we thought bomber. it would be. Not far from the Bayport police station Uh-oh. was a... Oh, <laughs> Not far from the Bayport police station was a fruit stand <laughs> over which presided an Italian by the name of Rocco. <laughs> He was a simple, genial soul who believed almost everything he heard, and like most of his countrymen, he was of an excitable nature. Yes, dude. It's all true. It's all true. (laughs) Toward Rocco's fruit stand, the boys made their way. Rocco was sorting over his oranges when they approached. Tony, with a box under his arm, hung in the background while Chet stepped boldly forward. Oh, my God. How much are your oranges, Rocco? He asked. Rocco, 
with a much explanatory <laughs> waving of his arms. <laughs> so, oh God. Uh, with a much explanatory waving of his arms, recited the prices of the various grades of oranges. Too much. There's a fellow at another fruit stand on the next street that sells him a nickel a dozen cheaper. He no can do, shrieked Rocco. My price is de low. <laughs> then, angered by this reflection on the prices of his wares, he burst into a lengthy explanation of the struggles confronting a poor Italian trying to get along in a new country. He grabbed Chet by the coat collar, dragged him to a corner of the fruit stall, bade him, in respect, bade him inspect the fruit gabbled off prices, and generally worked himself into a state of high indignation. In the meantime, Tony Prito made good use of his time to shove the mysterious package under the front of the stall. Then he joined the other boys who had screened his movements by gathering about Rocco. <laughs> You'll have the black hand after you if you keep on charging such high prices. That's all I can say, declared Chet, and the boys moved away. Poof. <laughs> what do I care for the black of hand? <laughs> no frighten me, said Bro Rocco bravely, but he gulped when he said it, and there was no doubt that the shot had gone home. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. I just want to say, what, W apostrophe A-T, what do I care for the, and then blacka, B-L-A-C-K-A, <laughs> for the black of hand? No frighten me, said Rocco bravely. But he gulped when he said it, and there was no doubt that the shot had gone home. Oh, his best line hasn't happened yet. Oh it's my about God. to happen. It was now after 6 o'clock, and the boys decided that in the interests of their plan, they would have to brook the parental wrath by being late for supper. You can't I just be late want to for pause. supper, yeah. yeah. They're planting a bomb yeah, at the yeah, police station. Yeah, they're worried station, about Pete late for supper. <laughs> oh, God, Dad's, Dad's going to be, be so mad about me being five minutes late for supper. He'll be fine with the bomb, though. Yeah. Because didn't, like, in the first chapter, he's like, well, you should call in a bomb threat. Didn't Phantom oh, yeah, give him that idea? About, no. He had, like, they were investigating a case. He's like, what happened at school? Did somebody call in a bomb threat? Oh, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, Fenton gave him this idea. Frank had assumed that Chief Colleg and Detective Smuff would be leaving to catch the train at about 10 minutes to 7. So, shortly after 6.30, Phil Cohen, who had remained in the background during the interview with Rocco, walked smartly up to the fruit stand again. The others were viewing the scene from around the corner of a nearby building. Banana, <laughs> said Phil briefly, tossing a nickel on the counter. When he had received the fruit, he began to eat it, at the same time chatting with Rocco. What you tink, snickered the Italian. Some boys come here a while ago and say to black a hand tink I charge it too much for the fruit. Well, you do charge too much, Rocco. Everybody says so. I sell it the fruit at the good price. <laughs> I sell it the good fruit at I, a good price. <laughs> I sell it the good fruit at the good Dude, price. if that is not a t-shirt, I don't know what <laughs> is. I sell it the good fruit. S E L L A. No apostrophe. Acela. Acela the good fruit at the good price. <laughs> Phil turned aside and at the same time accidentally knocked an apple to the ground. He bent to pick it up, Rocco eyeing him narrowly in case he tried to slip it into his pocket. But Phil did not get up at once. Instead, he said, Oi! 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 Oh, I. That's Jewish. Oi. 
Oi. Oi, give Oh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Phil Cohen. Yeah. Oh, hey, what's this? What you find? What's this, Rocco? Phil rose from in front of the stand with the package in his hands. I found this under the counter. Rocco stared, his mouth open in dismay, for sounding clearly from the inside of the package came a steady tick-tock, tick-tock. Uh-oh. A bomb! He shrieked. Put him down! <laughs> H-E-E-M. Put him down. Thereupon, he scrambled wildly over the array of fruit at the back of the stand, knocked over a tray of oranges, and went sprawling over the opposite counter, roaring, Police! at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Phil, with a fine imitation of fright, put the package on top of the counter and fled. Rocco, in his white apron, was dancing about in the middle of the street, yelling, Bombs! Police! The black of hand! <laughs> Then suddenly, fearing that the supposed bomb might explode at any moment, he whirled rapidly about and raced down the street away from the stand in the general direction of the police station. He reached the doorway just as Chief Colleg and Detective Smuff were leaving for the train. Panting with fear and excitement, Rocco implored them to save him from the black handers who had put a bomb under his fruit stand. The bomb, she go tick-tock, he wailed. <laughs> She blow out a stand into the little piece. <laughs> blow it into the little piece. A bomb, exclaimed Chief Colleague. Surely not in Bayport. <laughs> I always thought there was black handers around here, said Smuff. She blow up, she blow up the fruit stand. Come quick. <laughs> Cue you. <laughs> Q U E E C K Queek Queek Come Queek Chief Colleague and Detective Smuff followed Rocco to the corner. They peeped around until they could see the deserted fruit stand with a package with the package on the counter. You say it goes tick tock? Just like at a clock. <laughs> a bomb all right said smuff they run by clockwork some more exposition learning, <laughs> learning what bombs are like oh god might go off any minute observed the chief i hate to go near it smuff you go and pour a pail of water over it me yes you you're not afraid are you no I i'm not afraid muttered smuff mopping his brow but but I got to think of my wife and family. That's a Tommy boy thing. <laughs> you know, I got he kids. hit me repeatedly over the head with his pistol. With a hammer. With a, oh, that's a, that's a hammer. And I was forced to give up my gun. You know, I got kids. I got kids. <laughs> but also we get the exposition that someone married Smuff and procreated. I yeah, know, I don't know that we knew he had a wife and kids. He's a married. And also, uh, so what they're about to do is Smuff and uh, Kyle, like, neither of them want to pour this... Uh, this water over this bomb. So yeah. they're both like, well, you know who we should get? Let's get Con Riley. Oh, so wait. Con is now the OG Smuff. Interesting. Con's the dumb one. Yeah. Coward, said the chief. Um, I'm your superior officer. Bad for discipline. It wouldn't be right to disobey. The, the worthy officers. Oh, 
Yeah. Interesting. Hang on. I want to yeah. get this. Uh, you're not afraid, are you? No, I'm not afraid. Uh, but I got to think of my wife and family. Coward, said the chief. I'd do it myself, only it wouldn't be right, seeing I'm your superior officer. Bad for discipline. The worthy officers stared at the package on the fruit stand counter while Rocco danced with impatience. Neither colleague nor Smuff dared approach closer, but they realized something must be done. Where's Riley? asked the chief at last. Oh. Uh, out on his boat around the corner? Get him. Smuff departed hastily, glad of the chance to get away from the vicinity of the bomb. He was some time in locating Con Riley, and when at last that minion of the law was escorted back to the chief, seven o'clock had come and gone, so had the train. Wow. Woo! I sell it the good of... The, the good of the fruit, uh, the good of the prize. Oh my God! Just a like at a clock. <laughs> it goes tick tock. A like at the clock. A like at a clock. Oh my God! Yeah. Everything that we read about, everything that we thought about Italians, there was stuff like his countrymen, like clear. Oh, I know. Oh my God! Gesturing with the hands and the obvious broken English. Yeah, that is good stuff. Dude, I that love is... that he's just running in the middle of the street too, and you know he's doing the hands. Oh, the whole doing time, crazy hand, just saying a bomb, a bomb. And they were doing like when he was talking to Chet, they didn't even bother giving him words. They were just saying he was gesticulating prices <laughs> with his hands, and just flailing about. Oh, that's so rich. Oh, it is fantastic. Also, oh my God. Uh, do you know what the black hand is? Isn't it the mafia? Okay. See, I didn't. And when Tony Preto was just like, we need a black hand, I was like, oh, they're racist towards black people. And oh, no, I, I, think, I think it's the Italian mafia. It, it is. I had to look into it, and it, it was... Uh, La Cosa Nostra. Yeah. It was, uh, let's see, a minority of immigrants who formed criminal syndicates that uh, would just victimize fellow immigrants, too. There's just crime within, I guess, themselves. And that's just a Webster's Dictionary breakdown. But I did not know that. So reading Tony Preto saying, black hand, I was just like, oh, no. Where is this going? Yeah. I was trying to see if they... Even mentioned the black hand in that? Yeah, there was something about, like, write him a threatening letter. Yeah, that's a... Because we laughed at that. Like, write them a threat and put skull and crossbones on it. Uh, and I think that's... The black hand might have had skull and crossbones or something like that. Oh, yeah, like let's that. see. Yeah, oh, here. Tony Preto in, in the uh, new rewrite. We might send him a warning not to take a plane before 7 o'clock, Tony Preto said, and sign it with a skull and crossbones. Okay. Wow. Yeah, this went wildly different. Yeah. And uh, in the new book, there's an illustration of, of Smuff being called into the back of Rocco's fruit stores, which is a full store, not just a stand. Right. Um, but I feel like they put this in here to like really insist, like, no, 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 no. Didn't happen. Like, like you may have thought it happened in the original book. None of that happened. <laughs> None of that happened. Look, it's not even a stand. It's a whole store. It's totally, a whole store. Totally different. Yeah. As we're before with, with the boys going to New York, they're like, yeah, so they can sit on the floor. We don't even need a <laughs> chair. This, this they seem to go out of their way to distance themselves from. Oh, yeah. Big time. God, that is beautiful and exhausting. That's the best chapter ever oh, written my God. by, by uh, Franklin W. Dixon. That's a literary masterpiece. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm happy that it went through that full chapter of just reading it live. Did you? Yeah. Trying to there break no that down is to do too that. hard. I mean, it's just yeah. there's so much. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow, I, that's good. I love that chapter. And I was like, finally, we can end it. Is that when where I was you stopped? Re- oh, yeah. Okay. Once I got there, I was like, I have everything I need to cover a one-hour episode. And instead... And instead, it's a do you know how long? Do you know how long part two is right now? Uh, probably 50 minutes. Hour 19. Is it really? Yeah. We've oh, done it my again. God. Yeah, Amazing. I have to go to practice soon. Jeez. Oh, hey. Last episode, we had done our Amazon history a little yeah. bit. Uh, and I had put put forward a challenge if you wanted to uh, have a segment that we could mess with uh, in the podcast. Do you have... Do you have a segment? <sighs> I totally forgot to think of one. That's fine. That's fine. We've I got other chapters. I, I like I like the segment that you came up with, and I have to find something that's just as good. I don't know that mine was particularly good. It was just I do like Amazon that. It's history. nice and personal. It's it's unique. It's a, yeah. it's a little window. Into yeah, you get a little what do we little want peek into what we like? Yeah, we what's our wish? Maybe our patrons would be like, oh, well, that's cool. Maybe I should just buy them that. Yeah. Oh, and with a little wish like, list. Yeah, a little wish list. We'll put our wish list <laughs> yeah. at thepartyandsonspodcast.com. Yeah. That's nice. Well, I our, our next... Uh, we might be able to finish the book in the next episode. Maybe two, depend, depending like, on what happens. There's 40 pages. I did 80, so yeah. it seems like 40 pages is a hour breakdown. Yeah. And so the, depending on how wildly different it is, it'll either be one more episode or two. Yeah. Oh man, that's serious. That's it was well worth it. I, oh I told God. you I was so nervous. I was like, "This new book is way more racist than the old one." Like, well, when you texted me at first, you were like, "I've been reading it, and it's not that different. It's not that exciting." Like, you weren't sure that there was enough material to do an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and David, you were wrong. I was way wrong. You were very, very wrong. I, I ate my own words the next morning oh, when I read that chapter today. That was woof. That was special. That was emotional. Yeah, I feel like. <laughs> For my birthday, you could have just gotten me that chapter. <laughs> That's like the best gift I could ever imagine. Just a leg of the clock. Just a leg of the clock. So it goes tick tock. Quick. Leg of the clock. <laughs> Come quick. Come quick. <laughs> well, until next time. I... I don't like. I don't know how you come down from what we just like. I'm, I don't I'm, either. I'm genuinely in shock. Yeah. This this has been exhausting and exciting. But uh. I'm just happy I got to watch you read it. That's, that, that's all I could think as I was reading that chapter. It's like, I can't wait to see Sean's face <laughs> for this entire chapter. It was mostly squinting and crying. <laughs> yeah. That's what my face looked like. There's no behind the scenes photos, I don't think. I don't know if you were taking pictures, but. I should have. I uh, should have recorded it. Well, with that, the boys ended the chapter. <laughs>